Okay. All right. Gonna get rowdy. Um, welcome. We have some visitors today, so welcome, visitors. If you could stand up and come up here and tell us something about yourself. I'm just kidding. It's a, wouldn't that be weird if that was a thing? Do people do that? That's weird. Um, we would never do that. We, uh, But I do need to kind of warn you, if you're not used to this, uh, I shoot straight. Um, it's kind of a problem, but not for me. <laughs> uh, but uh, And we, we love you. I hope you felt welcome so far. So uh, we're going to go back to the Gospel of John. I've been preaching on the Gospel of John for a long time. We're going back to the Gospel of John. I, I broke it up. And we talked about wokeism and the affliction of wokeism over the last three weeks before this, or four weeks before this. And uh, so um, I, whenever I told the team, hey, we're going to go back to the Gospel of John, they're like, so you're not going to talk about wokeism anymore? <laughs> no, we're still going to talk about it. Uh, it's just not going to be the whole sermon. So uh, let me give you a culture update. <clears throat> this week, the most famous mugshot in all of history has circulated the internets. Um, I, this is recorded, so I try to be careful, sort of. Um, the the plan for to the plan for them to destroy Trump is really backfiring. I don't know if y'all noticed that, but as the the as cars were going through, as motorcade was going through the suburb, I mean the uh the urban areas of of Atlanta. People were lining the streets. People that probably didn't vote for him in the previous election were lining the streets, shouting, Trump, we got your back. To get people that are, look, I've seen people like like gang lords in Chicago are now supporting Trump. If you want to make criminals support Trump, make him a criminal. <laughs> so anyway, uh, did y'all? Did any of you watch the uh, the Republican primary debate this week? Should not have been called a debate. It should have been called a debacle, um, because it was like there were uh, re- there were pundits pundits talking about how great that was and how deep the Republican bench is. And I'm like, what were they watching? Like, I don't get it. Like, I I'm so glad that we don't have to rely on politics to save us, right? That is not the hope for America. Like Jesus is, and and. You connected to Jesus is. Oh, y'all got quiet. Like, okay, it's up to us. So anyway, another thing that happened is, as I warned you, uh, COVID is coming back. Aren't we glad? It's like, uh, so very soon you will be, listen when I say this, you're going to be forced to put on a mask. <laughs> I already know y'all. <laughs> like, I remember the first time they did, or the first time this happened, um, that I would go into, I'm, I'm one of those guys that never, I didn't, I never did it. Um, it's hard to muzzle me. And so I, I went in, I, I would go into like Home Depot and the, the person at the door who had masks would be like, hey, you have to put a mask on. I said, no, I don't. And I just kept walking. And uh, cause they're probably not going to ta- uh, like tackle me. Probably like she was small. She probably couldn't have got me down. Um, but, uh, and then everywhere in the store, like you have to wear a mask. No, I don't. I don't have to wear a mask. And they're like, well, uh, we're going to have to make you wear a mask. I'm like, okay. I don't think you know what you're saying right now. Like you saying I, you're going to make me do something means something to me that maybe it doesn't mean to you. But to me, I immediately think you're going to try to make me wear a mask and you are not going to make me. I am scrappy. Okay. So also armed. So uh, it's not going to happen. So anyway, uh, I just, the COVID thing is coming back. Th- this will happen very soon. I think it's a plan of people that are in charge to kind of affect the way that people vote. So read into that what you will. Um, but I'm not like, I'm not saying I'm taking a, either side. I'm just going to stand on the side of truth always. Okay. How come y'all get quiet? Look, there's times when I'm nervous about saying something a little bit because I don't know if it's going to offend some people in the room. We have visitors again. Now, I don't know if it's going to offend some people. I know how most of you feel, but I don't know how some people. So if y'all could just kind of give a hearty amen when I say things that are like a little questionable, then it would make me feel better about myself. And we know that's what it's really all about. Right. <laughs> OK, so. Uh, so anyway, I just want to know, as this uh, as this stuff comes up in culture, are we ready to to not to not be muzzled? Are we ready to take a stand? Are we ready to, to be people that are are not uh, buying into propaganda when it's propagandized? Are we uh, going to be people that speak the truth no matter what? 
Okay, then I'll ask you, are we going to be people that speak the truth in love? Yeah, see, y'all are ready to speak the, what you believe the truth is all the time. Like, y'all are all about it. You got bullhorns, like, hey, you suck! And, like, just yelling at people. But can you speak the truth in love? God can say suck, right? I already said it. I mean, I don't know what the rules are. Um, anyway, weird church here. So uh, we have to be people that are speaking the truth in love. You have to do it in love. If you find yourself in a position where you're taking a stand and you're speaking to someone and you realize, wait a minute, I'm not doing this in love anymore. Shut your mouth. Like, just stop talking. Stop saying those things and and examine yourself. And we're going to talk about examining yourself in a, in a little bit, but you need to take a step back and examine yourself, okay? All right, so we're in John chapter 15. If you want to follow along, you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app. Um, if you go to events on there, you can do that. Or you can uh, just go to John chapter 15 in your Bible, and you can follow along with this. So previously on the Gospel of John, or as they say in the shows, you know, you turned the show on for last week, previously on the Gospel of John. Uh, we've been in the Last Supper, and this is Thursday uh, before what we call Good Friday, and he's just wrapped up the events of the Last Supper. And the last thing he says in chapter 14 is, Arise, let us go from here. Now, this is important. I'm going back to this for a very important reason. So the Last Supper, they don't know exactly for sure where it happened. They do know, however, it happened upstairs somewhere. Do y'all know the Bible at all? I was like, it's in the upper room, so it was upstairs. Okay, so I guess uh, don't tell that joke in third service. <laughs> we don't have a third service. Um, it happens, uh, so uh, there's a lot of people that believe it happened in uh, Mark's mother Mary's house. Um, and then uh, now there's, a, there's actually a church built there. And then uh, a lot of people believe it happened further south that is near David's tomb. The reason those two places are significant is to get to, he said they're going to get up from the arise, let's go from here, and they're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. The, it, it doesn't matter if it's either one of these places. To get to the Garden of Gethsemane, they have to go around the southern side of the Temple Mount, and the Temple Mount is very important because on the Temple Mount, along the top, there is what's called uh, the Golden Vine. And the Golden Vine literally was made of gold on the outside of Herod's Temple. And it was like an honor to be able to give gold to this temple to, so that it could be used in the golden vine. And so um, that is the setting. Imagine, now I want you to just kind of put yourself there because it's going to be really important in a second. Put yourself there. You are one of Jesus' homies or disciples probably in your Bible, but you're one of Jesus' homies and you're like, he says, hey guys, let's go. And so you get up and you're all walking and you're like, there's a crowd of you walking. You're all following Jesus and Jesus just talking. And he's like, hey, Guys, you see that? And you're looking up. You're going around the backside of the temple and you're looking up and there's this golden vine. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. Like, and, and my father is the vine dresser. You see all kinds of parallels and all kinds of things in the Bible. And you're like, I wonder why he said it like that. I'm telling you exactly why Jesus started talking about the vine. Because there was a, a, a golden vine around the top of the temple. And he's like, you see that vine? That's not real. I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. My father is the one that, that does all of the care for the vine. This is the seventh and the last, the final I am statement. When Jesus said the phrase, I am blank, whatever he said after that, they would literally stop like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because you'll hear people say, Jesus never really claimed to be God. Every time he said the phrase, I am, he was claiming to be God. Because I am is the Greek Yahweh. And so he said, I am the bread of life earlier. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, here he says, I am the true vine. I am as ego I me. And ego I me is, is Greek for Yahweh. It's God's name, Yahweh. I am God. And so um, this one being the seventh time, he says, this I am is all about connection and being connected. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. In the Old Testament, Israel was the vine. And Israel, as we know, Israel would always go up and down. Israel was like doing really good, and then they do really bad, because they weren't perfect like you. You're like, you're nailing it, right? You're like, you're always just steady climbing for the Lord. Yeah, okay. 
so they and and Isaiah says, "I will sing for my beloved a song of his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard and on a very fertile hill. He dug it up and cleared the stones and planted the finest vines. He built a watchtower in the middle and dug out a wine press as well. He waited for the vineyard to yield good grapes, but the fruit it produced was sour." If you look at this, the 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 care for the vineyard was extensive. Can you think about the care that the Lord has given you? Extensive. He has set you up for success in every way he possibly can. So much so that he he actually lives inside of you and leads you from the inside out. And he says this of Israel, like he did all of this care, all of these things that were that sets Israel up for success, but the fruit it produced was sour. Israel was divine that didn't produce good fruit. Jesus comes along and he says, I'm the true vine. He's the vine that is going to produce good fruit. He said there will be a time when, when the disciples will be removed from the temple and kicked out of the synagogue. And Jesus said, don't be deceived. The answer isn't because you're Jewish. Israel's not the answer. Your religion is not the answer. He says, I am the answer. I am the true vine, the true connection. And he goes on, he says, every branch in me, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. When he says he takes away, the, the word for prune is kathiro. And kathiro means to, to cut something that is useless off. It is, it is the pruning. And the pruning, we know, see, look, many of you have been in sermons where you've heard the, the preacher talk about, about we're Christians and we need to be pruned. Not you, like it's for other Christians that need to be pruned, right? We know, here comes some discipline. This is going to hurt. Imagine a vine, seeing the vine, the vine dresser come along with the shears, being like, yay, here we go. Cut off some limbs. It's painful. Being pruned is painful. The whole point of, of, a, of a vineyard is to produce fruit. The whole, it's, it's what it's all about is producing fruit. A grapevine is good for only one thing, and it's fruit. And if you want grapes, then you have to learn about the pruning. The only thing a vineyard owner is looking for is fruit, is production, period. And so you don't plant a vine and look for something pretty. Vines are not very, they're not very pretty to look at. They're not good for shade. You can't cut them off and make lumber out of them. It's not for any of that. It is for fruit production. There's two kinds of vines that are pruned in order to, um, that are in order to be more fruitful. The first one, obviously, is the fruitless, the ones that are producing absolutely nothing. If a branch doesn't have any fruit on it, then it's cut off. It's like, obviously, this isn't going to produce any fruit. We're going to cut off and start over. And uh, gardeners call these fruit, fruitless branches, they call them suckers or suckers. <laughs> a sucker only produces leaves. It looks like it's fruitful. It has the appearance of, wow, look at this, it's beautiful. Look, at, it's actually producing something. But then you go to the vine and there's no fruit on it. It's just a bunch of leaves. A sucker uses up the life of the vine by producing leaves instead of producing fruit, which it's supposed to. So when you cut the sucker off, there's more life available to produce fruit. In our church, listening to me right now say these words in this room, there are suckers that are sucking life out. They're like, give me the donuts. <laughs> give me the coffee. I'm all about it. Like, let me hear some good music. Let me hear a good, funny, let me laugh. And like, this is great. And they come in right when service, and then they leave, and it's like, you're not producing anything. You're just sucking life. Like you're just, you're, you're sucking resources. I love you. I really do. But you got to produce some fruit. Like you don't want to be a fruitless vine, right? Because Jesus says those are cut off and thrown away. You don't want to be fruitless. And don't worry. I'm not telling you that I'm going to come kick you out of the church. I'm not. You could come here and be fruitless forever. If you can manage sitting here and listening to me call you a sucker forever. Like, it's fun. But, you know, 
when you first come into the church, there are some people that, that first come into our church and they're like, oh, I want to serve somewhere. I want to I want to do something. This is great. I love this place. This is great. Let me do something. No, no, no. Cool your jets, bro. Like, just slow down. Why don't you get planted a little bit? When you get planted a little bit, then then not only will we we let you serve, we'll let you continue to feel the pressure to serve until it's time, like until you actually will serve because we have a children's department. I'm just going to say it. You know it's coming. So, uh, and, and it, but not only that, there are plenty of places to serve inside the church and outside the church. And we want you to, as you grow, as you get planted here, this is your church and you're plugged in, you're connected to what we're doing. We want you to produce fruit. So the first kind that is cut, that is pruned is the fruitless vine. The second kind is the fruitful vine. You'd be like, why would you prune a fruitful vine? If a branch is already bearing fruit, a lot of times that branch will have to be trimmed back. The goal of the vine dresser isn't having big vines. The goal of the vine dresser is having fruit, fruit, fruit. And so um, whenever we think about this, it's like we think that, um, well, I'm, I'm doing good. Like I'm, I'm doing a lot of good things. This is okay. I, I'm doing good. Good is the number one enemy of great, period. You can be doing plenty of good-looking things. A lot of vines will produce leaves with no fruit. You can produce little, little fruits and be like, this is good, like I'm doing good. But you're not doing what God has told you to do. When you, when you go from doing the good thing over here that, that God has told you to do, you can produce little fruit. But you're going to be pruned until you get your behind over here where God has told you to go. And once you step into that lane, out of the wrong lane, because even a good lane can be a wrong lane, and out of the, the, the wrong lane into the right lane, you know those little, like, y'all know Mario Kart, right? I mean, do you know the arrows? Like arrows? You know what happens when you drive over those arrows? You go really fast. For those of you that have never played Mario Kart, I feel sorry for your life. Okay, so you can go in the good lane at the normal speed and be like, doo, 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 and be fine with third place. You're like, oh, I'm good. Just wait for that red turtle. Like, I'm good. And then, but if you if you go into the lane God has called you to, and you hit those arrows, you're about it's about to get into overdrive. You are you're gonna win. You're gonna do things that are great. And the good can't be your goal. The greatness in the Lord has to be your goal. That's what we at Life Church are shooting for. We want to be great, but only because we're serving the Lord and doing what he's called us to do. Right? Yeah, I was a little unsure for a second. Churches all over the world, there are churches all over the world that are fat and fruit and unfruitful. They they didn't start out that way though. They didn't plan, they didn't say, hey, let's let's all get together and let's let's just make a, a group where we're exclusive. We don't include people outside. And some, some churches will get to, I've heard pastors tell me the sentence, like, you know, we have 40 people, we've had 40 people for the last 10 years, and we're fine with that. Like, we're just going to really pour into those 40 people. It's not about the number of people. It's about, I have a pastor friend, y'all, I've told you about this recently. I have a pastor friend here in town. It's fantastic. I have never had another friend that was a pastor that we can just be who we are with each other. There's no competition whatsoever with each other. There's only competition with Satan because Satan's group is bigger than ours. In our, in our city, there are more people not in church today than there are that are in church. So we're losing that battle if we're going to talk about numbers. So what, what we have to do is you have all these people that, that will gather and they're like, oh, we're just fine now. And they're just feeding themselves and they're just getting fat and happy. And then they're excluding people that are outside that are lost and dying. That's not who we are. Like we wrote, we wanted it to be so clear that we wrote our mission statement on the front glass. It says, welcome. Everyone's welcome, period. If people come in here and they don't feel welcome, we all failed. We want people to feel welcome so that people will know. And they're, they're welcome because your life is a beautiful fragrance to the Lord. It is something that is attractive. If your life is terrible and miserable, please stop telling people you go to church here. I want more people to go to church here. And if you're just like going around grumbling all the time, like what, what, why would people want to have that? 
They're like, oh, everything is terrible. It's just so bad all the time. Shut up, please. I pray for you. I pray for your life to be better, but I really pray for you to be quiet first, and then your life to be better. Pruning in the life of the believer is not a pleasant thing. So I don't imagine that, that like I said a while ago, a plant just like, yay, here comes the cutters. This is going to be great. The early church saw persecution as pruning. Whenever a big something big and something terrible comes along, you can tell who really is connected to the vine and who is not. The ones that are not connected to the vine will fall off. They're, they're gone. When, when trouble comes, they're gone because it's easier to quit than it is to push through and to keep going. So um, a guy named John Chrysostom in 400 AD said this about the early church. He said, it was said with relation to the persecutions then coming upon them, the pruning makes the branch bear better. So it is shown that persecutions rather make men stronger. So good times create soft men. Soft men create hard times. Hard times create strong men, and strong men create good times. We see that in our culture, right? Like we've made it so comfortable for our kids that now they're soft. We got a bunch of soft kids. Do you remember? Like you, we hand them devices, like electronic devices, so that we don't have to deal with them. We're like, hey, go be distracted by this and like get out of here. Go, go away. I don't have to babysit you right now. You can't babysit your own kids. You can only raise them or not. So you're, you, you say, just here, go, go. And we, you remember when you were little? Remember what you had to do like for entertainment? Go outside. Like your, my mom would tell us, go outside. We were like, all right. We go outside and she did not know or care where we were until the sun went down. And then she would go out. She's like, stay where you can hear me. We could hear my mom for like 10 miles, okay? <laughs> loud. So she would open the front door. Randall Dwayne! Worst sound in the world. And so we would come in in the afternoon and like open the door. Mom, we're thirsty. Okay, go get a drink out the water hose. You remember the water hose? Tastes so good. Like, that's why we never get sick. We drank out a water hose. Your kid looks at a water hose and gets a cold. Like, so anyway, we have this cycle, okay? We're back to, look, it, we're back to hard times. Hard times create strong men. So the next generation coming up, they're going to be strong because they have to be. And we're going to be with them as their forefathers forging the way, right? So, um, I'm going to say something real quick that um, Joel Osteen and Steve Furtick and T.D. Jakes would cancel me for. Okay, so just get ready. Sometimes God will allow difficulty in our lives as a way of pruning us. If your life all the time is just like sunshine and rainbows, like I don't think you're following the Lord. A lot of things that you attribute, the difficulties in your life that you attribute to Satan, that's actually God's hand moving in your life. That's actually a very, very good thing for you. And you're like, oh, Satan did it. Satan made me do it. No, he did not. If you're a Christian, Satan can't make you do anything. Anything, guys. Satan can't make you do anything because you have power over that. And since you have power over that, if you did something wrong, you were like, yeah, I wanted to do that. I wanted to. Yay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect timing. The difficult times make us examine our lives. And we take a step back, and then whenever we have, if you can be just completely brutally honest with yourself, the worst moment in your life was probably when you were closest to Jesus. That you were just, that was when everywhere you looked, you're like, God, please, I need you by my side. I need you to deliver it. Please get me through this storm. I cannot do it on my own. And you were relying on him. Though you would never say, give me some more of that, please. You're like, I just, I, but you knew you need it. It causes us to reorder our, our priorities. It causes us to listen closer to his voice, right? There was this uh, famous theologian named A.W. Tozer. I love Tozer. He's fantastic. And he said this. He said, the philosopher Socrates, everyone's heard of Socrates, right? Probably the most famous philosopher of all time. So the philosopher Socrates said, an unexamined life is not worth living. And then Tozer says, if a common philosopher could think that. You know what I love about the way Tozer 
calls Socrates the greatest philosopher of all time. He says he's just a common philosopher. You know what? In comparison to you, who has the Holy Spirit lighting up your voice to speak truth, eternal words, like Socrates is nothing compared to you, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you. This common, what is this common philosopher? If a common philosopher could think that, how much more we Christians ought to listen to the Holy Spirit when he says, examine yourself. An unexamined Christian lies like an unattended garden. Let your garden go unattended for a few months and you will not have roses and tomatoes, but weeds. That's weeds with an S. Just, I'm, just in case you are like thinking about not letting your garden grow. An unexamined Christian life is like an unkempt house. Lock your house up as tight as you will and leave it long enough. And when you come back, you will not believe the dirt that got in from somewhere. An unexamined Christian is like an untaught child. A child that is not taught will be a little savage. Y'all know how y'all's kids be. It takes examination, teaching, instruction, discipline, caring, tending, pruning, weeding, and cultivating to keep the life right. This is a quote from Tozer's book called Rut, Rot, or Revival. I would just ask you, if you, just, if you could examine real quick, are you currently in your spiritual condition, are you in a rut? Kind of the th same things have been the same things and they're boring. And, and, and you open the Bible and you're like, you do it, but you're like, oh, this is boring. People say that all the time. Like that's the, the church. The, the Bible is so difficult to read sometimes because so and so begat so and so and so and so begat so and so. First of all, you're reading the King James version. You're a weirdo. Um, secondly, I'm going to give you as your pastor. If it's boring to you, go ahead and skip that section for now. Go back to it later. Go ahead and skip it, and then read something that's exciting to you. You'll go back to it, I promise, because that lineage that you think is boring, every word of it is super important. And it will mean something to you someday. So um, are you in a, a rut? Are you at a spot where your, your spiritual life is rotting? Or are you in a revival where you are waking up to all new um, realities of the spiritual realm that maybe you've never even thought of before? I can tell you that, you know, my favorite day of the week, you would think it would be Sunday morning. I thoroughly love doing this. My favorite day of the week is Monday. I love Monday morning. I love early mornings, first of all, but I especially love early Monday morning because there is something about a new beginning that I just absolutely love. My heart is in revival every morning when I wake up. And I'm not, I'm going to say this even though I know I don't have to. I'm not holy. Like I am no better than anybody else. There is nothing special about me except for I get to speak on behalf of the Lord. He is using my words to draw you closer to him. But I constantly stay in a state of revival. I've never in my entire Christian life, I've never done the thing that's backsliding. I'm not saying I haven't messed up. I've messed up a lot. Thank you. I was waiting for Pam's amen. I'm, Pam is always good for an amen after I say something negative about myself. Thank you, Pam. I appreciate that. So, but I, I like, I'll mess up, but I don't stay there. I don't camp out there. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Stupid. You knew you shouldn't have done it. And then I get up, clean up dust myself off and start running again. It's constantly, I'm in a constant state of revival. I'm not going to allow myself to rot. I'm not going to allow myself to get stuck in a rut. I'm going to continually revive in my spirit. Monday mornings, I can't wait till tomorrow morning. I cannot wait. Never miss a Monday. If you work out, you know what that means. Our time is short. I have only, uh, we have only so much time to talk about these things and to spend time in this life and uh, you should ask yourself, am I spending my life on things that are bearing fruit? The process of pruning, um, as, as, you, as you continue to, to invite the Lord to do stuff in your life um, and say, you, you really should say things like, Lord, lop off the things that, that are not bearing fruit. Lop off the dead limbs in my life. Even What if that dead limb in your life is is like something that you've been really working toward. Would you be willing to let the Lord lop that off? It's tough. It's tough to say, like you've been saving up money to get that Mercedes Benz. And the Lord says, you don't need a Mercedes Benz. You need a Honda Civic. And you're like, oh Lord, no. 
are you willing to and I'm not saying I'm I'm not saying anything bad about a Mercedes Benz. Like one time I said that when I was preaching about a beamer, I said something about, well, you shouldn't even have that beamer. I was just totally joking. The side side comment, I do that. And then somebody came to me afterwards, like, I cannot believe you were calling me out. Because they just got a beamer that week. And I was like, first of all, I didn't even know. Second of all, you shouldn't even have that beamer. Like, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, you know? So Hebrews 12:11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful, what? Fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So that was just two verses. Y'all are listening really slow. So he goes on, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He's talking to the disciples. He's like, look, you've already heard me say all these things. You're already clean because of that. And they have already been pruned from the things that they've learned from him. One of the best pieces of pruning shears that the Lord has in your life is the Bible. You all, everyone in this room right now has a Bible with them because your phone, has, it sh- if it doesn't have the Bible app on it, really, what is wrong with you? Okay, I know, listen, I literally know dozens of people that are not Christians that have the Bible app on their phone. Okay, so you should probably get that Bible app on your phone. Don't let me see your phone without that Bible app on it, okay? Secondly, like even if you don't have the Bible app, it's on the internet that's on your phone. I know you got the internet. Y'all be watching Netflix, so I know you got the internet. So uh, Psalm 119 says, how can a young man cleanse his way? It's by taking heed according to your word. His word is what is going to correct your path. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of, it, of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. You ever hear somebody say the phrase, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made, everything I did, I worked really hard for. I believe that you worked really hard, but you're not self-made. If you're a Christian, you entitled Christians are like the worst people for me to talk to. Because first of all, I mean, you, you don't have to be around me very long to see how I am. This is how I am all the time. So I speak directly. Someone last week, last Sunday, came into the kitchen. They said, hey, um, I need to get your advice on something. I said, let me stop you right there. I'm going to tell you whatever you, I don't even know, I did not know the subject. Whatever you're going to ask me, I'm going to tell you what I believe the truth is and what I believe the best path for your life is. And I'm also going to tell you how dumb you were to get to the point you're at now. So just, if you really want advice, go ahead, keep on. And she left. (laughs) She didn't really, she asked me the other thing. So um, whenever I hear the sentence, I've earned this. Or worse for me is when people say, it's not fair. Oh, man, I want to punch people when they say it's not fair. You know what? It's not fair. You're right. It's not fair. It's not fair that right now you're sitting in air conditioning. It's not fair that you rode or drove in a car or vehicle to get here. You'd have to walk. It's not fair that you know for sure today before you go to bed, you're going to eat something again. That's not fair. It's not fair that you are so stinking blessed. It is not fair. It's not fair, but... It's not fair in the wrong way that you were, you were saying it. It's not fair. Any fruitfulness that you have, any good thing that you have in your life is because the Lord has enabled you to get it. The only good things, every good thing that you have is because of your connection with Jesus, because he has, he has given you the ability. You say, no, I go to work and I work really hard. He gives you the ability to go to work and work really hard. You could wake up tomorrow dead. No, you couldn't. It's like the words were coming out and I was like, that's dumb. Don't say that. It was too late. You are given the ability by him to do everything that you do. And the sooner you see that, the sooner you're going to be able to, when you're giving him glory for those things and he's getting glory, he's going to enable you to do even more because it's about God's glory. Anything that you've done by yourself and in and of your own power is not fruitful at all. It's about connection. The assumption is that a branch is already connected to the vine. A branch that is cut off and by itself is not producing anything because it is not connected to the the things that it needs in order to be fruitful. It's possible that you could be listening and not have a connection with Jesus at all. You could be listening to the podcast right now and not have a connection with Jesus at all. You are someone that has not yet been maybe introduced to that or you're still fighting 
the him calling you to be connected with him. I would just tell you, you can get plugged in and it's so easy. It should not be as easy as it is, but it just is. He made it easy. He says, but as many as has, has but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God and to those who believe in his name. It's so easy. You believe in his name and you repent, meaning you are going your way and living your life, and then you repent and turn and go his way. You're not going to get it right all the time. You can, but you won't. And whenever you see that you're, you've repented back to your way, you've turned back to your way, stop. Stop right there and turn back to his and continue to repent. You cannot know God apart from Jesus, period. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot know God apart from, oh, I had that verse on there, apart from Jesus. And the reason that is, whenever people say, how do you know that, that Christianity is the right answer? You can't be forgiven of your sin without Jesus, period. He's the only one that came and paid the price so that you could connect. He's the only one that made a way for you to connect to God. Jesus Christ died on a cross in order to pay the price for your sins. And you must come to Jesus in order to be connected with God. And once you've connected with Jesus, abiding is simply about staying connected. You're about to get tripped up. Okay, I'm just warning you, you're about to get tripped up because you're going to be like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. It does. Abiding is not just this. We think about when, we, when we're abiding in Jesus, that it means that we're like super spiritual beings all the time and we're doing everything perfectly. We wake up in the Bible and like birds, I mean, wake up in the morning and we're in the Bible and birds are landing on our shoulders and it's like, it's, everything's beautiful and perfect and it never rains and it's, it never rains, just so you know, it never rains. But, and it's like everything is, everything is just perfect. That's not what abiding in Jesus, abiding in Jesus is grinding every day. It's getting at it. It is, it is going and reading the Bible. It is, it is being in the Word. It is serving God, God's people. It is serving people that aren't yet God's people. It is worshiping and praying and doing the things that we know are work and they're cultivating our connection. And that's how we're abiding in Him. It's not always the sky parting and earthquakes and fire and wind and rain and storms. It's not always that. Sometimes God speaks to you in the silence. In the complete silence. I want to give you a challenge. If you're here, you're listening to me or you're listening to the podcast, and you've never heard God speak to you, I want to tell you, I want to guarantee you a way that God will speak to you and you will hear him speak to you. If you will, go find a place where you can have silence. And I mean complete silence. Turn off the music. Don't pray. Don't sing. Don't read. Don't think, come in, easy for us. Women, it's going to be a little harder. Don't think, don't do anything. Don't be distracted with the things that you're going to do later. Just sit in silence. And in the beginning, say, God speak. You have my undivided, total attention. Please speak. And I promise you guys, you will hear him speak. Without a doubt, 100%, I guarantee you, you will hear him speak. And it will wreck you. The next thing you'll hear after he speaks is your sobbing. Because it is beautiful. And all you have to do is sit in silence. And you're like, I have kids. No such thing as silence. Go sit in the car and lock the doors and leave the kids inside by themselves. No, don't do that. Sometimes he is in the earthquake. Sometimes he's in the, in the storm. Sometimes he's in the wind. But he's always in silence. Always. He's always speaking to you. Always speaking to you. And all you have to do is turn off all the other sound so that you can hear. That's your challenge. If you'll do that. I, and if you do that, please tell me. Like send me a message or something. Because I want to know. I want to hear about it. John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine. Oh, wait. There's one more thing I need to say about this. Um... I forgot what it was, though. So He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. The connection between the branch and the vine is what makes it possible for the branch to bear fruit. People, natural people, will do what is natural to them. 
if you're naturally a coward, you are going to act cowardly. If you're naturally a brave person, you are going to act brave. The only way you can counter your natural nature is to be supernatural. And the way you can be supernatural is if you're living through him and you're connected to the supernatural Jesus. So um, Peter was a coward. Peter actually, on the, the, the night that Jesus was fixing to be crucified, on Good Friday, he was there and a little girl asked him, hey, aren't you one of those Galileans? Aren't you one of Jesus' people? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Nope, not me. That's not me. Get away. And he cursed her. Like, he was a coward. He was scared. Literally, this same Peter, not too long after, goes and preaches on the day of Pentecost. And when he preaches, he is literally preaching to the very people that crucified Jesus. That's how bold he became. He went from his nature of being a coward to being a supernatural warrior for the Lord. And it was a beautiful thing. When he says, you can do nothing without me, you can do nothing. It doesn't mean that we're just these lifeless blobs just waiting on God to tell us to do something. We can do plenty of things without Jesus, but we'll only do things that are natural to us without him. Only the things that are comfortable to us. And so um, we, we can't, when we speak, we will speak about our nature when we're doing it on our own. If we never expect to do anything, well, contrary to our own nature. So we have to be people that are connected, right? And he says, uh, we will bear much fruit. What does fruit look like? Fruit for us, fruit is the, the, the natural product of something. And, and, it's, and it's in its results is what we do. The fruit are the, are the results of the things that we do. Are you all with me? All right. I need to slow down because I'm like starting to talk. I just want to say everything all at once. So fruit is a natural result of the things we do. So if you're connected to Jesus and you're connected to the supernatural, then you will have supernatural results in your life. I can tell you without a doubt, I could not do what I do on my own abilities because my abilities do not stretch that far. It is supernatural what's happening to Life Church. It is supernatural. I cannot believe it. Every time I come here on Sunday, I'm like, why are y'all coming here and listening to this goofball? Like, just, I, I feel like I'm like a Tasmanian. And then, like, y'all are listening. You're like, amen. I just said nothing there. It was weird. We need to, to know how to say supernatural things to natural people to get them to become supernatural. But that doesn't mean that every conversation is like just a weird. Do you know those people that are like just they're super like super duper spiritual that like you can have a conversation with them like, all right, everybody, um, we're going to pray. Everybody, if you could just go bow your heads and close your eyes and then and then you go to pray and they're like, all right, I'm going to pray now. Dear sweet Lord Jesus. Thine willeth be done. And then they start, they, they pray their entire prayer in King James English. And, and, they, and they have a different, vo a different prayer voice. It's like, what in the world? I ask them, hey, do you pray like that in your head when you're praying like in, quietly? Because that's weird. There are some people that we just call, I heard a comedian say, they, we just call them oversaved. There's just some people that are oversaved. You know, every single conversation turns into like this supernatural, like, like, hey, uh, you thirsty? You want some? I'm thirsty for the Lord. It's like, calm down. Like, calm down. It can't all be like, people will stop listening to you if everything is like this supernatural. This guy was talking about how when he first got saved, he asked the girl out. And she said, no, thank you. I'm dating Jesus. And he's like, you're what now? You're dating Jesus? Like, that's odd. And so she's like, she's like, yeah, I'm dating Jesus. So he's like, okay, whatever, weirdo. And so he didn't talk to her. A few months later, she comes back. She's like, hey, you still want to go on a date? And he's like, what happened? You and Jesus break up? What? Like, what happened? And he's like, and then what if I like, what if I started dating her? And like, I walk into the room and she's praying. I'm like, who are you talking to? <laughs> like she'd be talking to her ex. Just to be clear. <laughs> What is fruit? Fruit is what you do. Now, I'm going to 
talk about a concept that people keep bringing up to me and people get all confused about what do I do with this? It's the one saved, always saved thing, okay? But here, let's look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Fruit is doing the will of the Father for us. That is what fruit is, right? So that shows whether a person is a genuine believer or not. The way you live your life and what you do shows that you are connected to him. So it's who you are. When, when you're connected to the Holy Spirit, he begins to change us. He begins to change our character, change the way we talk, change our personality even, and change the way we produce fruit. So, but the fruit of the... <laughs> That's sweet. I love... I love those kids, man. <laughs> ah, that's so funny. If you're listening on the podcast, a little kid just left and yelled bye. It was really funny. Uh, so, uh, you know, so the the children's workers have been like, hey, why don't we ever have like just all the kids in service? Why well, I'm sitting in the front. We will get nothing done that day, but we will have some fun. We've actually considered doing that like every fifth Saturday, like, you know, fifth Sunday, I mean, we'll do it on Saturday. None of y'all will be here. It'd be fun. Uh, so on this and just having the kids in here, you know, I can talk to kids. They love listening to me talk. Let me tell you. Um, but it, we should, we might do that sometime because that was hilarious. So Galatians uh, 5, 22 and 23 says, y'all, y'all all know this. And he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I know for Randy, if I have any of these things displayed in my life, then there is something supernatural going on because uh, me and myself, none of this stuff's happening. I'm not doing any of these things on my own. I promise you, if I'm being patient, it's because the Lord is moving in my life. Okay. He is controlling my mouth and making me shut up because I am not a patient person. If you ever want to get in the slowest lane, follow me. Because I'll change lanes and that lane becomes the slowest lane. And then I'll change lanes again. Like, oh, that one's moving fast. And it becomes the slowest lane. You, uh, you try to get further and I'm just going backward in traffic. It's like I'm, I'm getting further away from my destination. It's worse and worse. I am not paid. So if you buy a grapevine and plant it in your backyard, it takes a little while to see, to see any fruit. A lot of people get, uh, get discouraged because they get saved and then nothing's happening. Like they're not, they're, there's no fruit being born of their life. Hey, look, you haven't been a Christian that long. Chill. Like just just wait, just get connected, get planted, let your roots grow down. And when you're, the, the deeper you let your roots grow down, the more you'll be able to, to bear fruit. But for you people, you've been Christians for a long time. And unfortunately, you're still not bearing fruit. Why are you so lazy? Ah, found it that's the one like we need to be people if you know jesus and you know you're connected to him it's time to start bearing fruit it's time to start serving and you can serve in the church or you can serve outside the church you can serve in the kids department (laughs) no anything but that send me to africa lord it's not the kids department it's like yellers please note uh, in Galatians 6, it says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You have to keep at it to bear fruit. It's the cultivating. It's the grind. It's the work. You keep putting in the putting in the work, and you will bear fruit. It's the people that are like, I'm just not bearing fruit. They go do one 15-minute ab workout, and they raise their shirt like, where are my abs? I worked really hard for 15 minutes at this, and I have no abs. What is the problem? Well, that's not how abs work, okay? It doesn't just come all of a sudden. Also, abs are made in the kitchen. Okay, I just want at least one person in here can say amen. Verse six. See, y'all are like, no, please don't take the donuts away. Like, I, 
Well, it's fine. If you don't want abs, continue doing what you've been doing. Or eat right and exercise. Todd always says, I've been trying to like, I've tried everything short of eating right and exercising to be healthy, and I don't know what's happening. I'm just, t- hey, Todd works out with me in the mornings. I'm just kidding. He, he does work out. Um, so, and verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. I have heard thousands of sermons where they're like, Hey, look, people that do not abide with Jesus lose their salvation and they're thrown into hell and it looks a lot like he's saying they lose their salvation i'm going to free you up from this whole thought thought pattern okay it's is it possible for a person to know jesus and then to walk away is it possible for someone to be saved and then lose their salvation or is it once saved always saved it doesn't matter what they do after they ask jesus into their heart and say and recite that prayer, you know, the Lord's, the, the uh, sinner's prayer. Y'all saw that in the Bible somewhere? Yeah, a different version than I have. So they, I recited a prayer. I know I'm going to heaven. Well, I mean, maybe it's, it's more than that. And so people get all tripped up on this. And, and people love, Christians love to argue about this. The once saved, always saved. Um, some believe that if a person doesn't abide in Christ, they don't, continue to follow him with everything as strong as they ever have then maybe they were never truly saved can you think about the highest point the the time when you felt closest to jesus than you've ever felt in your life if that moment is not right this second then that means according to that whole thought process you've lost your salvation because you're backsliding and I just don't, I just don't think that's how it works. Um, whether you've never been connected or you've lost your connection, the point is that a, a branch that does not abide will be cut off and burned. I do believe in eternal security. I believe that one that has turned their life over to Jesus is going to heaven. I believe that as long as I stay connected to Jesus. I am eternally secure. I never worry about my salvation. Never. Any mature Christian doesn't worry about their own salvation. Okay? So if you're someone that, that, that is worried about if you're going to heaven or not, figure that out. Focus on that until you figure it out. And really by figure it out, all I mean is go read the Bible and see what the Bible says and then believe the words that you read. And once you, once you settle that, whole concept for yourself okay i'm settled now i know that i'm going to heaven i believe that i'm going to heaven i believe that god is able to guard me to keep me to get me to heaven and it's not about the things that i do it's about the things that he has done that gets me to heaven so that brings up a whole nother line of thinking a whole nother line of questions what if you're on your way home from work and i know none of you would do this but but you, you are speeding and you break the law or you sin. And then you get in an accident and you die before you get the chance to repent. Are you going to heaven? What if, there? I'll make it a little harder because I like to go to extremes. What if you go and murder someone and, you, and then you die right after? Are you going to heaven? So you got a little harder there, didn't it? Like, uh, I think, uh, I don't know. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So let me just, let me just get you to relax. Let me free you up from the once saved, always saved, the going to heaven or not going to heaven. If, you, if you're not sure, if you're sure that you're going to heaven if you speed, but you're not sure if you're going to heaven if you kill someone, don't kill anyone. Actually, just don't kill anyone regardless, okay? Let's just make that a rule. Let's, I'm going to command. First, the way to be free from this whole once saved, always saved whole thought thing is first, figure out yourself, worry about yourself first. And then once you have that, 
once you realize, yes, I'm saved. Yes, I'm redeemed. Okay, now what I want you to do is go and preach the gospel to everyone everywhere as if no one else is saved. That's what the Bible says to do. Go and preach the gospel to all creation. And you're like, well, what if, what if that person used to know Jesus and now they don't? Oh, cool. Go and preach the gospel to that person. Well, what if that person has committed the, the ultimate sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, the one sin that you cannot be forgiven of? What if, what if they did that? Okay, well, go preach the gospel to them anyway. Because if you preach the gospel to someone and it, it is like something that they can't even hear, it's still good practice for you to just preach the gospel. You could actually literally preach the gospel to this poll right here, and it's still good practice for you. Paul's probably not getting saved, but you, it's still good practice for you. It's still good for you to preach the gospel to everyone everywhere. So if you want to know if it's once saved, always saved, you're not saving anyone. So it doesn't matter. You're not condemning anyone to hell. Thank God, right? Aren't you glad? I'm, I am so glad that I, it's not up to me to condemn some people. It's not, that I don't have the ability to condemn people to hell. Because I would have literally condemned many of you. Multiple times. But we don't do that. It's not up to us. It's not up to us to say if someone goes to heaven or hell. All we can do is show them the way. Right? So go out and show everyone the way. And don't worry about if it's once saved, always saved. It doesn't matter to you. Mind your business and preach the gospel. Okay? I was really hoping for a little more than that, but okay. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. He's saying even prayer is about bringing glory to God. You know, everything, everything, everything is about bringing glory to God. That's why I put it in all caps. All about bringing glory to God. It is, it is every single moment you have after your moment of salvation is about bringing God glory. So everything you do should be about bringing God glory. It, it's, it's an issue that's not about you becoming famous. It's about making God famous by the things that you do, that you're genuinely giving God glory for every good thing that happens in your life. It's not about getting what you want. He says that it's your desires. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. When you're asking what you desire, you're asking if you're abiding in him, you're really asking, you have a desire to bring glory to God's name. And you're saying, do you remember before you were saved how you wanted to do this and that and the other and those things were sins? You got saved and now you can't imagine doing those things. Those things that you used to do, they seem disgusting to you. You are, you're like literally ashamed and sorrowful that you ever participated in that. And it was stuff that you looked forward to. And now something happened inside of you. You're now going against your nature and you are a supernatural being. You, the sin has this, your desire has changed. Now you have a desire to follow the Lord. And so the way that our prayers change is we let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let God's word find a home in your heart. The living and abiding connections with Jesus is, is what will make his word come alive to you. And it will begin to affect your heart and move your desire go from going this selfish prayer of of like, I, this is about me. Lord, please just give me this because I need this. I see worship songs that are selfish worship songs because it's like I and me and I and me. Lord, bless me. Lord, I need this. I, it's not about that. It's about bringing glory to God. Your life is about bringing glory to God. He says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. When you're connected to the vine and you're abiding in him, you will get the desires of your heart because of the desires of your heart will be to glorify him with everything you have and in everything you do. You're putting your focus on God and, your, and, and his glory and it changes everything about you. 
And now you can be at peace. Now you can be, you can, when you are giving God glory, it's something that is like exciting to you. Your life is no longer in a rut. It's no longer able to rot because it is in revival. And that's what we're about here. Amen. God, we thank you so much for the way that you continue to call us, the way that you continue to connect us. And Lord, we want to be people that are abiding in you, that we are staying connected to you, that we are ones that are that are looking for ways to draw other people into, um, into a relationship with you. Lord, we just right now, we invite you, we ask you to prune off the parts of us that are not bearing fruit or they're good, but not great. We invite you to, to have your way in our lives because our desire is to bring you the most glory. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, we do have baptisms today. We do baptisms over at the river in about 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. We're going to walk out of here and we're going to walk down to the river and it's going to be wonderful. All right. Oh, you didn't.